All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Acts. The listener's commentary is a crowdfunded Bible teaching effort made possible by the financial support of people just like you. So thanks to each and every one of you who generously support this work and make this possible. And at this point in our journey through the book of Acts, we arrive at Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look specifically at Acts 20 verse 1 through 16. At this point in the story, we're at the tail end of the third missionary journey, although the amount of time summarized in a few short verses is actually quite significant. It's almost a year that we get from 20 verse 1 through 20 verse 16. And so we cover a lot of space just summarized very briefly by Luke. And in the last scene in Acts chapter 19, Luke narrated the near riot in Ephesus. And as a result of that, Paul decided it was best that he leave the city of Ephesus. According to his own words in 1 Corinthians 16.8, Paul's original plan, after he had sent Timothy and Erastus into Macedonia, Paul's plan was to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. But what seems like happened is this riot occurred. Paul decided it was best for him to leave and seems to have sped up his timetable a bit. And he decides now it's time to depart. And so we pick up the story in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, with these words. After the uproar had ceased, that is the near riot in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples there in the city of Ephesus. And when he had encouraged them and taken his leave of them, he left to go into Macedonia. So it seems he leaves pretty much right away. He gathers the church together in Ephesus and packs up his things and heads out with the plan to go to Macedonia. Uh, We know from here that he traveled north and he went up to Troas. Somewhere in this time period of his time in Ephesus, he had sent Titus over to Corinth. We've already noted in previous recordings that during Paul's work in Ephesus, he had all sorts of contact with the city of Corinth. There was a lot of trouble brewing in the church. There was some division in the church. There were some people that were opposed to Paul in the church. So he had all this contact with the city of Corinth. And he sent Titus there to try to see if he couldn't get some the, the church, you know, on board, bring some of these people that had rebelled against Paul's leadership and authority to repent. And so he had sent Titus to Corinth. And so when he leaves Ephesus and he goes to Troas, uh, we learn in 2 Corinthians, particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, um, that he was going there in hopes of meeting Titus in Troas. And so according to that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Titus didn't show up. There was a wide open door for ministry in Troas. And nevertheless, Paul was had no rest in his spirit because he really wanted to hear what, uh, what Titus had discovered about Corinth and all that. So he left Troas and he sailed off into Macedonia. And somewhere in Macedonia... Paul did finally meet up with Titus, perhaps at Philippi, we're not really sure, but somewhere in Macedonia, Paul and Titus connected. Titus brought a good report from Corinth of a positive response, and and thus at that point, Paul writes 2 Corinthians and sends it back with Titus to the Corinthian church. And so when it says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, that he left them to go into Macedonia, this is 
all motivated by this uh, desired meeting with Titus, wondering what's going on in Corinth. And while he's there in Macedonia and finally connects with Titus, it's during this time period that he writes the letter of 2 Corinthians. So he writes 2 Corinthians. He sends it with Titus back to Corinth. He himself stays in Macedonia. And verse 2 says, When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And so he spends some time in Macedonia. He uh, preaches all throughout the region. In fact, Romans chapter 16 suggests that he also made his way fairly far west over to Illyricum during this time period. And so he spent a good chunk of time in Macedonia, clear over to the west to Illyricum, doing some preaching. And then after spending some time there, he finally headed south down into Greece, down to Corinth himself. Corinth is of course, the major city in Greece where there is a church. And so he heads to Greece and to the church at Corinth. And verse 3 tells us, And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he returned through Macedonia. All right, so there's quite a bit, again, of summary that's happening here. So he spends several months it seems, in uh, Macedonia and over to Illyricum, uh, preaching. Um, If he was originally planning on staying in Ephesus to Pentecost, well, Pentecost is early summer, uh, late May, early June. If that was sped up by the riot, so maybe he, uh, he heads into Macedonia, say, late spring, early summer sometime, maybe perhaps in April or May of 56. Uh, Finally, he meets up with Titus, sends um, him back, and then spends the rest or a good chunk of the rest of 56 in Macedonia and Illyricum. And then he finally goes south to to Corinth. And it says here he spends three months there. Um, Presumably, those are the three winter months. He had originally told them in First uh, Corinthians 16, that he, he thought he would winter with them for a few months because sailing shut down on the Mediterranean for the winter months. And so it seems he arrives uh, in Greece, in Corinth, at the end of 56 and spends the three winter months there. And it's during those three months that he's in Corinth that Paul writes uh, the, the letter of Romans from the city of Corinth in the the winter months of late 56, early 57. And once winter was over and sailing resumed, Paul's plan originally was to sail from Corinth to Syria, or that is to the eastern Mediterranean, and his goal is ultimately to get to up to Jerusalem. And so that was his original plan. He was going to sail, but there was a plot on Paul's life that rearranged his plans. Now, we don't know any details. Luke doesn't tell us. Uh, We could speculate and guess, and scholars have, that perhaps since it was, he was originally seeming to get to Jerusalem for Passover, uh, that maybe perhaps a crew of Jewish pilgrims sailing from Corinth uh, were going to try to bump Paul off on board ship, dump his body overboard and be done with him or something like that. We don't know the details for sure. That's plausible, makes good sense. It's possible. We don't really know. Uh, But what we do know is Paul somehow found out about this plot and decided to rearrange his plans. And so he's now going to, instead of sailing out of Corinth, he's going to travel overland north out of Corinth, go back up through Macedonia 
and he's going to spend Passover in Macedonia and then hope to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. That's really how he's rearranged his plans. And so he heads out of Corinth by land, uh, heading north, going up to Macedonia. And verse 4 tells us he's not by himself. He's not alone. And this is important for us to notice. Look at verse 4. He says, he was accompanied by, and it lists off a handful of people, Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Now, these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So a couple things to note here. We have this list of people uh, from all different places. Why this list of people? Who are these people? Well, in addition to being general, maybe traveling companions and assistants and co-workers in ministry with Paul, and Paul describes some of them that way in his letters, certainly Timothy in the middle, we know has been a co-worker with Paul for a long time. So perhaps they're that, but in addition to that, there's a high likelihood because of the places they're listed from that these people are, are actually representatives of churches in those regions who are sending money to the, the church at Jerusalem. And we know Paul has been working at this time gathering uh, an offering from the churches of Macedonia, the churches in Corinth. It seems like presumably churches in Galatia and elsewhere have, have collected some funds. And Paul has been gathering this giant collection. And so this team of people are representatives. Uh, they probably also provide some accountability and some security for the collection. And the plan is to deliver this collection to the church at Jerusalem. And that's why Paul is so eager to get to Jerusalem as soon as he can, particularly around the holidays when you have all these other Jews there would be a great showing of goodwill from these Gentile churches uh, sending their gifts to the church at Jerusalem. And so we're not 100% certain if that's their role, but it just makes good sense in view of what we, we know is going on in Paul's ministry. It also tells us that Paul just didn't travel alone. We tend to see Paul as this solo minister who kind of out there planning churches and making disciples, but he didn't do it by himself. He has a whole team of people with him. We'll talk more about that as we reflect on things here at the end. The other thing to note here is, notice verse 5. Now these, this whole list of people, had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Uh, in other words, this team of people has sailed presumably from Philippi in Macedonia and Paul stayed behind with Luke. Notice us. The last time we had a we or an us, a first person plural like this, was when Paul left Luke in Philippi years earlier during the second missionary journey. Now he's returned to Philippi and Luke inserts himself into the story because he's going to begin traveling with Paul again from this point. And so this team of peoples with Paul, presumably traveling from Corinth north to Philippi. Uh, at Philippi, Luke joins the team. Uh, this group of people sail to the east, and they're going to meet Paul and Luke at Troas across the Aegean. But Paul's going to sail behind. Uh, and he's going to stay behind specifically to celebrate, it seems, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So verse 6, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and reached them at Troas within five days, and we stayed there for seven days. Now, Luke's going to give us some pretty good travel itinerary through this whole next little stretch. So here we note that Paul celebrated Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
in Philippi, if we have our chronology right, and again, we're pretty close on this, this is most likely the Passover of the year 57. And in the year AD 57, Passover was celebrated at the beginning of April, April 7th, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread followed that for seven days after that. And so we're in the second week of April in the year 57, most likely here at this point in time. And so Paul spends that time in Philippi, and then he and Luke sail from Philippi to Troas, and notice it took them five days. So it took them a pretty good chunk of time, which makes sense. When they made this trip going the other direction years earlier, it only took a couple days. It took longer here uh, because the spring winds were against them most likely. And so they slowly made their way across the Aegean. They arrived at Troas. And when they arrived at Troas, they ended up staying there a whole week. And Luke doesn't tell us why. We know from later in this account that Paul seems to be in a bit of a hurry because he wants to make Jerusalem by Pentecost. So the fact that it's taking this long... Uh, we would imagine is somewhat discouraging to Paul. Uh, we don't know why he spent seven days there. Was that intentional because of the church? Was it uh, due to shipping issues or things of that sort? We're not told. But 12 days after Paul left Philippi, he gathers with the believers in Troas for a church service. So verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And so the church gathers together on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, and they're gathered together to break bread. Uh, it's it's always a little difficult because it seems like to break bread sometimes refers to the Lord's Supper, sometimes refers to eating a meal together. It may very well refer to both. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper often involved eating a meal together and church times often involved that as well. They would gather together, eat a meal, and as part of that meal, they would celebrate communion together, and then they would have some teaching and all of that. So that may be what's going on here. Uh, but they're certainly gathered together on Sunday. Uh, they're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, maybe have a meal together. And Paul then began teaching them. And he prolonged his message since he's leaving soon. He prolonged his message clear till midnight. Uh, it's getting late. People are getting sleepy. And Luke then narrates, since he's an eyewitness to this, remember he's with him, he narrates a story with pretty vivid detail that begins in verse 8. It says this, There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were gathered together. So the church is all together, packed into some uh, upstairs room in some house or some apartment perhaps in, uh, in Troas. There's a lot of lamps there, people traveling. So we're at nighttime, right? Uh, people traveling there uh, with their lamps in the dark. Uh, the room's lit up with lamps, and we're not talking electric lamps. We're talking oil lamps. And so you have all these oil lamps going. It's maybe warm and stuffy in there. Um, Paul's teaching for a long time, clear until midnight. Uh, and verse 9, there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. So Paul's teaching and preaching, and Eutychus falls asleep. Now, he's described here in verse 9 as a young man, but uh, two later verses in the story will refer to him as a boy. So a little bit of ambiguity in his age. The word that's translated boy later refers to somebody who's pre-puberty. Usually the word translated young man here refers to somebody that's upper teens through their 20s. 
Um, and so we're not sure his age, probably younger since he's later referred to as a, a boy. So we're probably looking at somebody maybe 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that, perhaps. Um, not totally sure, maybe mid-teens, 16, 17. So at either any rate, he's a, he's a young, probably teenage boy, and he's sitting on the windowsill, and as Paul is teaching, he falls asleep. And as Paul kept on talking, Eutychus was overcome by sleep. So he's nodding off, and then eventually sleep gets the best of him, and he falls completely asleep while sitting in the upper story window, and he fell down out of the window from the third floor and was picked up dead. And so he falls three stories down to the pavement below in the city, uh, and they all rush down to check on him, and the poor young man is dead. Um, well, Paul rushes down too and sees what's going on. And Paul falls upon him, embraces him and said, do not be troubled for he is alive. And Paul revives this young man who had died during his sermon. Well, after those events, they go back upstairs to where they were gathered and look at verse 11. When Paul had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long time uh, until daybreak and then left. And so they go back upstairs, uh, they eat some more food, and whether it was intended always to be this way or not, Paul took the opportunity just to keep talking and conversing and dialoguing and teaching. And they ended up spending the whole night talking and talking scripture and teaching and all that all night long. And then the next morning, Paul left. Um, verse 12 says, they took the boy alive and were greatly comforted. And so uh, once they all break up the next morning, uh, the young man, Eutychus, goes home with his family. Everyone was greatly comforted by the experience. But verse 13, when we went on ahead to the ship and set sail for Assos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for that's what he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And so uh, the next morning was they were planning on leaving. And so Paul's crew, Luke, and all those people that were listed uh, a moment ago, they get on board ship. They're going to sail down the coast to the south from Troas to Assos, and they're going to pick Paul up there at Assos, and Paul's going to walk. For whatever reason, he decided to go overland for the strip. Again, we're not told why. We're not told maybe if he wanted to visit some other churches through there, or if he just wanted some time alone. We have no idea. But Paul decides to walk on this, this bit. It's about a two-day walk from Troas to Assos. And so Paul goes uh, by land. They go by ship. And then verse 14, and when he met us at Assos, we took him on board. And came to Mytilene. And so they're sailing now down the coast of what is now the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So they're working their way down the coast of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey in our day and age. So they sail from Assos to Mytilene. Verse 15, sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we crossed over to Samos. And on the following day, we came to Miletus. And so they leave Troas. Paul's going to take a couple days to get to Assos, and then four days later, they're going to arrive at Miletus. And so six days or so after they leave Troas, they arrive at the city of Miletus. Miletus is an important harbor town south of Ephesus. 
And so in view of that, Luke tells us then, verse 16, why they went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to lose time in Asia, for he was hurrying if it might be possible for him to be in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And so Paul's hoping to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so he knows if he goes to Ephesus, it's a large church. He spent so much time there. He has so many relationships. He could get hung up in the city for a long time. He left in view of the riot about a year earlier, and he doesn't want to get embroiled in any conflict. Or So he just decides, I'm going to sail past Ephesus so I don't have to spend any time there with the hope that he can make Jerusalem by Pentecost. Now, Paul's going to have some contact with the Ephesian church, just not the whole church. While he's at Miletus here, he's going to call for the elders from the church of Ephesus, and he's going to meet with them, really give a farewell address to them, and uh, pour out his heart and his love for them. And so he is going to have that kind of connection with the church at Ephesus, but he's not going to go into Ephesus itself. Now, before we leave this section, let me just offer... Just a brief little reflection uh, on really this topic of Paul and people. You know, as I mentioned, we often think of Paul as sort of this, this maverick missionary going out there, making disciples and planting churches and just this bold maverick sort of missionary all out there on his own. And just that's not the picture we see of Paul in the book of Acts. Uh, we see Paul with a team of people always around him. And we noted the list here in this little episode of those seven people. And then he Luke joins the team again. So he has at least eight people with him on this journey. Um, we know of others that are mentioned in various places in his letters or other places. In Acts, some that aren't mentioned in Acts at all, like Titus, for whatever reason, not mentioned at Acts at all. He spends seven days with the believers in Philippi, celebrating a Passover with them. He spends time in Troas, and he gathers with the believers there. Uh, here at Miletus, he's going to call for the Ephesian elders, and there's actually going to be a very heartfelt, tearful goodbye on the beach at Miletus. And so, uh, Paul is not this uh, independent, solo you know, entrepreneurial, maverick sort of missionary, Paul's a team player. And he values working with other people and raising people up and training people in ministry and sending people out and having people on his team. And and we just need to remember that, that Paul is very much a people person, a team player. And he, he cares about his churches. He cares about his ministry team. He pours out his heart to people. He loves people. He cares for this young man, Eutychus, in the church there. And he spends the whole evening with these people. And, and so when we think about the Apostle Paul and we think about ministry and we think about missions and we think about making disciples... I think we can learn a lot from Paul's example about the importance of people, doing it with people, raising up people, pouring out our life to people, uh, giving our heart to people. Paul very much did that. You see that same feeling and that same flavor in Paul's letters as he speaks of his love and his care and his concern and his prayers for the churches he started. And we certainly see that here in Acts as Paul has this whole team of people that he has invested tons of time in that he cares for and that are co-workers really with him, as well as traveling partners with him in ministry.